You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Jeff Carlson. He's the author of Plague Year, Plague War, and Plague Zone. Thank you for joining me, Jeff. Rick, thanks for having me on. Jeff, these are really interesting novels with a a kind of a great apocalyptic premise. Tell us why you decided to destroy the world below 10,000 feet. That's a really unusual choice. (laughs) Well, the the funny part is I'm actually uh, maybe the most emotionally well-balanced person in all of science fiction. That's right. I threw it down. Um, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a family man. I'm a father. I have these gorgeous, intelligent kids, a beautiful, supportive wife. Um, and the problem, of course, is once you accept the premise of the books that the only safe places on Earth are above 10,000 feet, well, yeah, chaos ensues. Uh, let me ask you, where do you live? Above 10,000 feet? Sadly, no. I'm here, I'm here at sea level where we have all been turned into toast. I, talk about developing the premise for this. This is a... a a story about nanotechnology uh, that becomes uh, a problem. Yeah, a very, very, very big problem. Uh, Originally, it was just a short story. And in the short story, it was a virus. I couldn't make a virus obey a barrier. You know, a virus is a biological thing. And it it kept coming up over the entire mountain and killing everybody. And if, you know, if you don't have at least three people left, you don't have a story. Uh, you know, the genesis of the idea, I'm a sixth generation Californian, spent a lot of time on the coast, up in the mountains, and driving back and forth. A lifelong skier, backpacker, spent a lot of time up there around Tahoe, Donner Pass, Donner Party, and having, you know, great weekends skiing with my brother, our friends, we never wanted to have to go back to work. And sometimes we would, you know, call in sick. It wouldn't be safe to drive. There's too much snow. We've been snowed in. It wouldn't be safe to drive home. Or I'm sick. You know, you stay an extra day. But I just, you know, as a writer, I'm always kind of, you know, going tick, 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 tick up there in the head. And I began to think, you know, what if you really couldn't go home again? Now, uh, your characters are, are, you know, trapped above 10,000 feet. Uh, this involves a lot of, I think, research on your part about what's, what actually can live above 10,000 feet and what machinery works. Talk about developing, you know, doing the research to, to make this uh, premise seem credible and uh, explain to us why the nanotechnology can't get above 10,000 feet. Excellent question. Thank you. Um, sometimes, you know, sometimes writers write about just the things that you know. I mean, that's why Robert Crace is writing about, you know, the PI down there in L.A. He lives there. He knows the area. Again, there's a reason why a lot of the story, at least in the first book, takes place in the Sierras because I, I grew up there. You know, I, I know what's alive there and I know the geology and, you know, why things erode and what the weather patterns are going to be. So a lot of that background came naturally to me as I me and my father was great about taking us boys backpacking when we were very small. So again, a lot of this was just like a reservoir of knowledge that I already had. Um, some of the things that required more research was the nanotechnology. But again, I'm fortunate that I live right here near the Silicon Valley. Um, go to science fiction conventions. You meet interesting, educated, intelligent people. Um, some of them were foolish enough. They were uh, real-life nanotech researchers, and they would bring in, because they're very excited about what they're doing, and they would bring in, you know, slideshows, um, you know, during the panels. And then at the bottom of one of their uh, one of their slides was their email address. And I was like, oh, I was in the audience. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm writing that down. Um, and since then, I've, I've, you know, I, you know, pestered them mercilessly, mercilessly and I've since, you know, um, become friends with them. Um, 
I have a, a wonderful anecdote that I'll, I'll, I'll spare you for the moment. Um, but the uh, the nanotechnology doesn't kill you above 10,000 feet. One of the controls, most of this stuff is all very, very real. Now, in the books, I imagine that we've gone a couple steps ahead of where nanotechnology is right now because, you know, it's more fun if things are bigger and better and scarier. But they really are using as controls hyperbaric, you know, chambers, uh, hermetic seals, all this stuff. In the book, they've developed their super nanobot, which is just a prototype designed to fight cancer. And again, this is stuff that they really are doing right now, where they're targeting tumors. Uh, the tissue is more acidic. You can put in nanobots that will deposit metals in that acidic tissue. It makes it easier to find them on MRI scans. In my book, they're developing a, another level up with a nanobot that will go in and actually eat the malignant tissue. Now, as one of their controls, they're using a hyperbaric fuse, which causes the nanobot to self-destruct at low air densities. The idea being that it can't get, you know, if it by any chance it would get out of the atmosphere hood, which you would have on, you know, your atomic force microscopes, your machining probes, whatever. If it happened to get out of, you know, right there, you know, with the atmosphere hood, with the microscope, you would be inside a hermetic chamber. And if it got out of there, it would instantly self-destruct because you would maintain it at a lower lower air density, right? Well, of course, in the book, there's an act of industrial espionage. The stuff breaks loose before it's ready because if it doesn't break, if all they do in the book is cure cancer, that would be awesome, but it's not much of a story, right? So, of course, in my book, you know, there's a guy who, you know, has greed in his soul and he tries to sneak it out. Bad things happen to him. The nanobot breaks loose. Right now, it begins. It, it, it's all it's designed to do at that point is to replicate because they're trying to work on a replication key. It's not ready. It's not ready to be out in the world. Right, breaks loose out of the lab. It proceeds to disintegrate all warm-blooded life forms below 10,000 feet. It self-destructs. It's actually uh, self-destructs around. It's 9,570 feet is 70% of an atmosphere. But as there are changes in weather low pressure fronts, high pressure fronts, it fluctuates. And believe me, if you were trapped on this little tiny mountaintop and if you went below the barrier, you were slowly begin to be disintegrated, you would want to be above that barrier as well as possible. So again, we round up to 10,000 feet. The interesting part, of course, is in the uh, all the foreign editions, it's 3,000 meters, which doesn't quite have the same ring to it, right? 10,000 feet, 3,000 meters. But the rest of the world is crazy. Now, um, one of the things you do really well in these books is to portray what the emotional state of the remnants of humanity. Now, you claim to be a well-balanced, happy family man. So tell us how you managed to plumb the depths of despair while uh, smiling at your kids. Despair and hope. Despair and hope, right? Um, well, I do have a very vivid imagination. Uh, you know, I grew up reading science fiction. If you, read, if you read too much science fiction, it does things to your brain. Um, you know, I'm like, I'm like third generation science fiction. My grandfather has these, they're mine now. He's, he's, uh, he's passed on, but they're mine now. He has these awesome, you know, personally inscribed Isaac Asimov novels. Oh my God. Are you kidding? No, I'm talking, but they're, they're book club editions. They're technically not worth anything because they're book club editions, but it says, you know, dear Frank, you know, have, you know, have an awesome time, you know, Isaac. And I'm and these are on my shelf now. Right. So, I mean, I grew up, I grew up reading this stuff. And science fiction really does, you know, warp and expand and knead and mold and twist your brain. Um, I have a very active imagination and, and spending a lot of time backpacking, skiing. There's a there's a beautiful, desolate quiet, you know, up to those high high elevations. Um, I'm fortunate to backpack and ski also out in the Rockies, which is even more stunning than the Sierra. Um, you know, and so you just start start to think. 
that was I mean for me that was, as the as the craftsman that's half the fun of the book i mean the heroes are all so traumatized you know by the guilt and the loss and so it's not just like the cool exterior conflict of how are we going to defeat the plague how are we going to survive get enough food who do we need to raid who can we you know ally ourselves with who will we betray ourselves or betray you know to steal their food but it's also the the inner conflict i mean the, you know donner party probably wasn't really much of a party right it wasn't very fun um, and if you had to do those things to survive, where would that leave you? So you have the, that cool, that inner tension and the inner conflict, as well as, you know, the exploding helicopters and stuff, which are also extremely cool. Um, talk about developing this premise, starting in the rock in the uh, Sierras and moving to the Rockies and starting in California and, you know, circling outward to turn this, you know, um, a state apocalypse into a worldwide apocalypse and uh, some of your research and, and, you know, developing the conflicts that you need to keep your story going. No, excellent question. Thank you, too. Um, One of the fun parts for me, again, as the craftsman with the trilogy, each book gets a little bit larger in scope. The first book, Plague Year, is, is pretty personal in scope. It really follows two or three survivors and their efforts, you know, to survive and then overcome the plague. You know, what what can we do? Because it's a machine, you might be able to overcome it, but what will we do? In the second book, Plague War, without giving too much away, there is, of course, a plague and there is a war. Um, in the back, this is all in the background of the first book. You know, I mean, there's entire countries. I mean, there's almost the entire continent of Africa has very, very few peaks that are above 10,000 feet. You've got some stuff in Ethiopia, I believe there's a couple of peaks out towards Libya. You have Mount Kilimanjaro. I mean, Africa is an extremely large continent with a lot of people on it. If you only had six or seven mountains that would be safe ground, I mean, again, things get ugly in a hurry. Uh, you think about Europe. How many countries and nations and creeds and whatnot are there in Europe? And you have the Alps. I mean, that's it. Um, the Himalayas right there in between India and China. Um, Russia has almost nothing for themselves. Where would they go? What would they do? You know, you wouldn't just lay down and die. You would invade your neighbors in full force. I mean, it's the end of the world. The plague is coming, you know, on the trade winds. It's it's coming at you. So with each book, I got to kind of open the, open the scope up a little bit. And the first book is kind of personal with the survival. Uh, plague War is still set in the American West, but deals a lot more with the the aspects of the geopolitical map and, you know, who who has the strength to do something? Who still has the planes and the fuel to accomplish anything? Would you be launching nuclear missiles? Probably not. You wouldn't want to be poisoning the land above 10,000 feet because you need it yourself. Uh, in the third book, and I don't want to give too much away, but in the third book, I was able finally to, it's about six or seven chapters, I believe, from the point of view um, of one of the, I'll just leave it at, at one of the enemy. And for me, it was nice to get into the head of one of the bad guys because the bad guys never consider themselves the bad guys. They have their own very legitimate motivations and background. And then I get to, you know, I get to play both sides of the chessboard. I'm the good guys and the bad guys. And what are my resources? And how can I outsmart the other guys? And, you know, would I make a, a, a peace treaty or would I betray them and blow them all up? Um, so, you know, it, it's, some of it's just some of it's just looking at a map and again, letting your mind kind of tick over and thinking, you know, like I was looking at Russia and I'm thinking, I mean, they're still a superpower in the world. And I'm like, you know, they've got a few very, very small peaks that would be of safe ground. These would just be like chunks of ice. You know, there's nothing there for you, but you would have a few, a few areas of safe ground and it's right up against their border with China. Where would they go? 
And to me, I'm thinking I'd if I was them, I'd fly right back into Afghanistan, right? And you have the whole Russian-Afghan war all over again, right? There's a lot of safe ground in Afghanistan, and there's not really a lot of Afghanis. You know, not if not if I was not if I'm Russia, right? From my point of view, I'm flying in my people and my army and taking over. Um, and so, I mean, I, you know, wreaking havoc like that is a lot of fun. You know, boo ha ha ha. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna today. I'll blow up Afghanistan. How was your day, honey? Oh, it was fantastic. I blew up Iran. How are you? Uh, so it sounds like you're having a lot of fun writing these books, uh, tearing apart the world. Um, do you, uh, when you write this kind of book, uh, it it provides kind of two very different thrills. There's the thrill of like being in the characters, and and you know the the thrill of the plot, hoping that things are going to work out for these two characters. There's also this really deeply, deeply depressing vision that seems uh, quite plausible that you know humanity has the means and has had for the past uh, 60 years or so to annihilate itself talk about those kind of two contrasting visions writing a fun thriller and uh dealing with the ex you know extinguishing humanity yeah the whole staying up all night with nightmares part um you know, I, I mean, I do believe in humanity. I'm not, I'm not, it's funny, I mean, again, having written these books, it was really more like once you had the premise, you know, and I, there's no way to write like the Mary Poppins version of Plague Year. You know, I, I mean, if, if everybody's stuck in the highest mountain peaks, I mean, things just, it just gets ugly in a hurry. They're not going to think, sing about uh, the, the wonderful things? Well, I've, I mean, I've had people, you know, I, I get fan mail and stuff, which is awesome. I meet people at conventions and I've had people say, you know, there's no way I could eat another human being. And I'm like, dude, you'd be one of the people that we would kill and eat to stay alive. I mean, if I, if I, Rick, if I had to kill you and eat you to keep my family alive, I mean, buddy, I'd do it. You know, I mean, especially as a father now, I mean, I totally get it. I'd throw myself in front of a bus to save my sons, right? And if, like, the worst thing that I had to do was have, like, a nice little protein steak that, you know, that was once Rick, I'd be, I'd be okay with that. Um, on, the, on the larger scale, I mean, it is, I mean, you know, you really can keep yourself awake at night thinking about it. I mean, when I grew up, it was, you know, I grew up during the Reagan years and, you know, in the exciting part of the Cold War when, you know, we were like, we're going to, you know, nuke, nuke those Ruskies. Um, and that was some, I mean, as you know, I, mean, I don't know, it's like, I remember I was like 10, 12 years old. That was some pretty heavy duty stuff. You know, we were waiting, waiting for the, the clouds and missiles to come down. Well, at least you didn't have to do drop drills in school. That's true. Well, yeah, no, exactly. I remember uh, we watched like the Iron Giant with my boys and yeah, and then my, my boys are asking me, you know, and why are they getting under their desks? And I'm like, beats the heck out of me. I mean, when the atom bomb's coming down, getting under your desk really isn't going to help, but you need to do something about it. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of, obviously, there's all kinds of global problems that we're facing right now. Uh, and there's all kinds of things that we could do wrong and destroy us all. But uh, I mean, I you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think it looking at the cover art of my books, but I, I really am an optimist and I do believe for, for me, um, one of the things of these books is it's not a really, I mean, as much as I like to talk about exploding helicopters, for me, it's not really about like the, you know, the gore or the gunfights. To me, it's about the ingenuity and the grit and the cleverness and the determination of the human being. I believe that most of us are good and true and strong and bright. Um, of course, I have to have some bad guys in the books because, you know, otherwise there's not really much of a story. My hope is that, I mean, the, the nanobot that they're working on in the, in the first book of the trilogy is just designed to go in and police the body, again, of malignant tissues and, you know, clear out your arteries and keep your liver pure. I mean, someday when they take it to, like, the highest level, when they're ready to sell it for $8 trillion and make themselves millionaires, I mean, that would be awesome. I'd love to live for 500 years, you know, if you could be, you know, in good health and keep your wits about you and 
and, and be intelligent and stuff. So I, I like to, I mean, by no means am I a Luddite. These books are not, some of the, the reviews and critics have said, you know, the, the, a cautionary thriller of science paving the way to hell. And I'm like, you know, yeah, kind of, I guess. Um, you know, but, but for me, it's just, it, again, it was just, it was just kind of a fun idea that I, you know, that I played straight, that I took, you know, all the way through, um, for me, I mean, I really, of these scientists in the story that are working on this stuff, I, I want them to, to finish that, uh, you know, in, in no way am I a, a human hater. Well, I think we have enough time. Tell us the entertaining anecdote. Oh, the inter- oh, so the entertaining anecdote of the uh, the nanotech guy. So, I mean, again, people who work in nanotechnology, just like people who work in computers or, or artists, whoever, I mean, they're very excited about what they're doing. Um, and so after I had pestered them mercilessly via email, uh, I was allowed to come down to, I'll go ahead and say it, uh, Almaden, the IBN Almaden Nanotechnology Research Center down in San Jose, and got to tour this place and, like, touch the machines and, you know, you know, actually, you know, move iron atoms, you know, with a scanning tunneling microscope and stuff, which really isn't, you just like, you know, you, you click a mouse and the machine does it for you, but it was still kind of cool. Um, and so there's a guy there, um, we'll call him Joe Smith. And Joe Smith is, you know, a PhD and a, you know, a cutting edge nanotechnology research guy. And he read Plague Year, you know, and again, he said, hey, you know, we're not building nanobots like this right now, but we might be, we will be five, 10, 15 years. And he said, this is a great book. This stuff could totally happen, you know, soon. And he wanted to provide like a fun jacket blurb, you know, be like, you know, this could happen tomorrow, you know, Joe Smith, nanotechnology research, you know, PhD. But of course it was IBM. So he had to go through the communications office at IBM and then they took one look at the cover, which is full of, you know, burning letters. And it says, you know, the next breath you take will kill you across the cover and these big, you know, scary red letters. And, and the communications office at IBM said, uh, no, you know, we, we would prefer not to be associated with that. Um, so I thought that, I mean, that's kind of cool, right? So, I mean, it would have been awesome to have that. I mean, a lot of guys stepped forward and, and, you know, had great things to say about the book and the books have all their, you know, they're exciting and thrilling and science paving the road to hell, you know, kind of jacket blurbs on them, but it would have been awesome to have, you know, Joe Smith, PhD, nanotechnology research, but IBM put the, uh, the squash on that. I've been speaking with Jeff Carlson. His latest book is Plague Zone. What will the title of the next book be? That's actually a top secret secret. That is like eyes only. I'd have to I'd have to kill you and eat you right now if I told you the title of the next book. The next book is a, it's actually a non-plague but still present day tech thriller kind of book. Um, you know, we got the three the nice three plague books. It's a nice neat trilogy. I've got some ideas for a fourth you know, plague novel. You could probably even do a trilogy of them, but I just have, like, I want to blow up the world in different ways this time. You know, I just have other characters, different ideas. I just want to kind of run with other stuff. Um, my hope is, you know, they'll make like the, uh, the Shia LaBeouf or the Will Smith movie of Plague Year. And, you know, then everyone would be like, oh my God, please write, you know, Plague Number Four. And I'd be like, absolutely. I've got a, I've got a bunch of notes on it. But yeah, I mean, I just, there's just other things that I want to do as well. You know, there's just, there's other, there's so much, I mean, it's such an incredibly exciting time to be alive. I mean, there's so many different avenues of science, different disciplines of just education and, you know, astrophysics and genetics and proteomics. I mean, just all just this crazy stuff is happening right now. I just want to go and play another another sandbox for a little while. I've been speaking with Jeff Carlson. Thanks. Hey, thank you so much. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. 